Hello, welcome to Coffee and Donuts. It's been a long time. It's going to be even longer by the time I actually get this posted, I think. I'm sitting here today with Richard Gill. You should be scared. <laughs> Why should I be scared? Rick, you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself before we dive into this? I think I'm most famous for being the future father-in-law of one Tim Quinlan. That's right. Which, uh, Well, really, you already are. This Legally. Legally speaking. But not publicly. Not in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> so to speak. And we are Catholic, so mm-hmm. that just keeps coming up, you know? Yeah, sure. No, I am um, big fan of Tim Quinlan and very happy to be doing this today. And um, in 48 hours, he is marrying my daughter, and I could not be happier. 48 hours. Yeah. It's, it's a <laughs> shocking for both of us, Tim. Yeah. No, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I've already done it. Yeah. I'm in now. Yeah. No, we're we're thrilled to death and I've wanted to be on this show for a while, so I'm glad he finally invited me. Well I'm happy to have you. Thank you, sir. So you live in Shelbyville, Indiana. Yes, sir. But you're from the Cincinnati area. No, I'm from, I thought you were. Actually from Louisville, Kentucky originally. Did you grow up in Louisville? Um, until I was about eleven or twelve years old, yeah. My okay. parents were we were Southern Indiana folks, and we lived on the north side of Louisville, Kentucky, for till I was ten or eleven years old, and uh, grew up just down the road from my grandparents and great grandparents, and it was a great way to grow up. But how molded are you really by eleven or twelve? I still consider consider myself that's still home. Okay. Even after all these years, it's still home in Southern Indiana. So what happened after Louisville? After Louisville, my dad got a job and he was transferred to Cincinnati. We lived there until I was 13 or 14 and uh, moved to Indianapolis shortly thereafter, or Shelbyville, southeast side of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and lived there throughout my the rest of my youth and uh, met and married the woman of my dreams and uh, had a daughter, Riley, which brings Tim Quinlan and Rick Gill together. After you had a son, Corey. After Corey. Corey, if you're listening. But this is not about Corey tonight. <laughs> he loves you just as much, Corey. It's fine. Exactly. So was there a lot of music in your house growing up? My mom was a big Elvis fan, so we had a lot of Elvis in my household. My dad was more of a country music fan, so he was more of Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, George Jones, Mm -hmm. that kind of The good country. The good country, the old country. Not that the new country's bad, but... But that's the good country. Let's be real. That's right. (laughs) So when you got a little bit older, when you got into college, what was your relationship with music at that point? Music to me, it's never been about genres or, you know, or, or those little micro genres of music. It's always been about the lyric to me mm-hmm. and the honesty in the music. And I think music to me really is about a point in time in your life. And when you, it's kind of like a sense of smell. You smell something, you think back to your grandmother's house when you were growing up. You hear a song, you think back to a point in time in your life. Music to me is one of those anchors that connects you to, the, to different points in your life. I've always been passionate about it. I have an abstract appetite for music, all kinds of different kinds, but they're all connected by the fact that they take you back to a point in time and or they're more focused on lyric than they are style. So what's an example? What, what can you think of off the top of your head when you say you can hear a song and it takes you back to a specific moment? Can you think of anything off the top of your head, a song that you hear every time and it takes you back somewhere? Absolutely. Growing up in Indiana, 
it was probably Mellencamp's music. So mm -hmm. I think about, I hear Ain't Even Done With The Night or Pink Houses or The Authority Song or something like that. By That's my jam. You think about that, that with Mellencamp and you think, I'm literally sitting at the back of a pickup truck and in, in a cut cornfield spotlight hunting for, for Red Fox. You yeah. know? That's what we did. We yeah. were kids and we would listen to that music and when I hear that music, I'm 17 again. You shouldn't be listening to music while you're hunting. It's okay. Cause <laughs> you're going to scare them. Oh, it's not about scaring them at that point. You're doing it at night with an infrared light and so okay. it's, a, it's a different style of hunting, but it's, it's the way that music takes you back to that point in time. Do you have any, I mean, it sounds like you listened to a lot of music growing up from the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. Do you have any contemporary artists that you really like? Oh, I think contemporary for me might be not contemporary. A different. <laughs> no, I, I, I like all kinds of different artists. I mean, if you had to say, what do you like today? You know, I, I, I'm not ashamed to say I like some of what Pink does. And, mm -hmm. and she, she's got some real interesting lyric, and I love her style. I like that raspiness, which is kind of the Janis Joplin, Bobby Gentry type of style. She's kind of a Janis Joplin character. She really is. I'll and that, yeah. so I do like, I like her style. I can listen to Eminem. I can listen to Kanye. I can listen to about any style of music today and find something in it that I like. Yeah. And uh, so I'm pretty open-minded about it. But if you said what artist today, I have a strange place in my heart for an artist that a lot of people don't know, which is Joan Osborne. She had a famous... I think people know her from What, what a God, God Was One, one of, of Us. Right, yeah. But, but, but that's such a microcosm of what her music is. As far is. as being really familiar. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love her music. And I like the stuff that ties me back to my youth. You know, mm -hmm. I, I really reach back to, you know, Mellencamp's or the Joan Jets or the George Jones or the Willie Nelson, that kind of stuff yeah. as well, too. So all kinds well, I, I peeked ahead at some of the 45s you brought, and you've already said quite a few of the names that were in there. Mm -hmm. Do you want to kick the show off with something? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one that we uh, we haven't mentioned the name of, and it's an interesting story as well. So I grew up during the Vietnam era and that kind of in that time. I had two uncles that were fighting in Vietnam, and thankfully my dad was in between those generations, so he wasn't there. You know, you're talking the late 60s. And this particular song is an artist that's, this would be, you talk about taking you back to a place in time. This song, I'm seven years old. I'm in first grade. I have a first grade teacher named Miss Tate, who literally wears blue mini skirts and white go-go boots to school to teach school. <laughs> yeah. And this song is about that. off so we can talk so this was miss tate yeah Smoking hot. <laughs> i had a few it's so weird looking back i had a teacher she's a student teacher named mrs tingle and looking back she had to be 21 22 years old but we all and, and looking back, it's crazy to think how young she was. Yeah, like, she was a kid. Yeah. Also, what are you doing teaching these kids? You're 21. What the hell do you know? I didn't do shit when I was 21. <laughs> hell no. I was trying to stay out of jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, was I was trying. Just, I was just trying to get by. <laughs> Is that obscure? You know that song, though. Oh, yeah. I have a... Where's she at? Can you keep my 
she is. It's there. She was smoking hot back then. There she is. That's the album right yeah, there. That's a great album too. Yeah, she's great. This whole this whole album is really good. <clears throat> Oh yeah, this is the one with Lee, Lee Hazelwood. That's a long time ago. That's a little awesome. sounds distorted. It does. It might just be this. Could either be the record. It's probably the record. Probably just a dirty record, yeah. It's 60 years old. Yeah. Right? 60, 40 years old. 50 years old. <clears throat> Little Nancy Sinatra for you. Yeah. Literally the first record I ever bought, Tim. On 45? Yes. I think I was seven or eight years old and saved up my money and uh, thought that that was exactly what I needed to hear. My parents were probably scratching their head, though. Whatever happened to your copy? I know this isn't the original copy that you had when you were a kid. Yeah, I believe my brother adopted all of my 45s at some point. I think he still has them today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, those would have been fun to get a hold of. Oh, yeah, but he's not giving them up, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Or he sold him. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> yeah. No, but that that's an example of a song that when you hear it, you go, my God, what was, you know, that was a point in time, it was probably 1968 or 69, and, mm -hmm. and it was a different time in the country, and then people were a lot more innocent, and I think that a song like that is kind of exemplary of that. Yeah, Nancy, she was a babe. I know why you bought that 7-inch. Yeah. Was it a picture sleeve? It was a picture sleeve, mm -hmm. and it was either <laughs> her or Peggy Lipton from the Mod Squad at that time. They were probably the the subject of my yeah whatever. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you know what the first Nancy Sinatra song that caught my ears was um, Bang Bang? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They used it in Austin Powers or something, I think. That Kill Bill. Kill Bill, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's how I got turned on to Nancy Sinatra. I mean, also, obviously, everybody loves Frank. Yeah, she was royalty at that point in her life. Yeah. You know, she was the daughter of the king, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they did some weird songs together. Yeah, that were inappropriate at best. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, it was strange. <laughs> okay, so that was the very first record you ever bought? That was the very first record I ever bought. Like I said, it, to me, music is about that circling back in time and the kind of impression that it had on you and where it takes you to when you hear it again. And that takes you back to your first grade teacher. It takes me back to being a little <laughs> kid, you know, and uh, it was a different time. And it was, uh, yeah, like I said, it was a simpler time, but yeah. it was also a time where I think we all have music that takes us back. Oh, yeah. And that's certainly one of those for me. And that's why I chose it. 
You know what's great about your generation? What's that? Is you can go back to the music that you listened to as a kid, and it's legitimately good music. Like, that's legitimately a good song. Yeah. The music is great. The lyrics are great. Everything about it is great. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. <laughs> a lot of the music we listened to growing up, I can't stomach today. I'll put it on sometimes for fun, for nostalgia. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I want to listen to this. And I'll get, like, two songs in. And I'm like, okay, I did that. But you grew up, what, Tim, in the early 80s, really? That would have been the era when you were... I was born in 83. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were good artists then. Who oh, no, things? there were. It's just that that's what, that's what that wasn't what was being played on pop radio, mm-hmm. though. And that wasn't what I was being exposed to. Mm-hmm. So going back and listening to some of that stuff now, it's like, this Not is good. bad. Yeah, this is bad <laughs> music. Good. But I look at that era... And I think about like Prince and artists like that who I think are geniuses sure. who were making really good records at that time. And and my sister is eleven years older than me. Sorry, Tanya. Didn't mean to out your age there. And she I I, I heard a lot of stuff from her and I certainly heard a lot of Prince from her. Mm-hmm. So I was hearing it from other places and my brother was instrumental in hearing like legitimately good yeah. music. Who's also nine years older than me. Yeah, the stuff that I was exposed to on my own terms just what kind of stuff was that? Man. Talked about Cinderella or something. I mean, well, if we're going to talk about like first records, some of the first tapes I remember buying, I bought the New Kids on the Block tape. Oh, my God. The fr- See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And you can still put that on. Maybe like, well, okay, that was fun for three minutes and then it's over. <laughs> but you can't put like Nancy Sinatra, you can put that whole record, that whole Boots record yeah. you can put on and the whole thing is good. Mm-hmm. Even the, the there's like a there's a Beatles cover day tripper i think yep. just still phenomenal and you can't put a new kids on the block record <laughs> and or listen to the whole thing any like of that, that stuff yeah like you just you just can't do that no. and that's just one example my, my brother gave me an outcast tape which was in 1994 and that holds up that's a little different though that's a whole that's an entirely different yeah. genre it, it was cutting edge at the time oh yeah i mean those guys they were the only ones doing rap was obviously a thing but these guys they were on a whole other they were a whole, whole other level. They were playing actual, and well, they weren't, but their production team was <laughs> yeah. playing like actual <laughs> instruments, and it was real music. It was different, and it was they killed it. But, but yeah, way better music. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, like I say, I think I was really fortunate to grow up in that era because and be exposed to what I was exposed to by my parents. Because not only we'd have poppy stuff like that, but I was still listening to Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. I remember we grew up on the Ohio River in Louisville. And there was a song, I couldn't find the 45, but there was a song called How High is the Water Mama by Johnny Cash. And it was just that influence, you know, it related to where you were. We lived right on the Ohio River and, you know, they were mostly owned by Kentucky, by the way, right? Exactly right. Why is it called the Ohio River? (laughs) Well, you know, we just, we deferred that to the Ohio folks. You're just like, let them have it. It was really ours, so we're (laughs) not worried about it. But, but it was, you know, so I had all kinds of musical influences like that. And Nancy Sinatra, maybe at that point in my life, felt kind of rebellious because it was poppy and not country or Elvis. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was exemplary of the time. I mean, it was it was a time when there was a lot of social unrest, and that was kind of risque. I mean, for women to dress that way and act sure. that way, it was kind and of talk that way. Yeah, it was different, yeah. and uh, I think it scared the heck out of my parents. But 
it was it was attractive. This to was us. the this was the NWA of your time. That might have been. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of scary. <laughs> That's pretty mellow NWA, if anything. I'd say know? so. Um, well, what else you got? Well, I, let's try this one here. This was a country artist. And this was a very risque. I think I know what kind of, we're doing, but I'm gonna. Oh yeah, me. it was the Ode to Billy Joe. Yeah, man. okay. And it was uh, it was risque for the time. I mean, it, the subject matter, if if you look back at it historically, was way ahead of its time. What was so progressive about it? Just listening to the words themselves, or listening to the song itself, you think, well, this, this guy jumped off a bridge and killed himself or something. Mm-hmm. But I think the story behind the story with, with Billy Gentry, Bobby Gentry was there may have been questions about why, and it may have dealt with sexuality, it may have dealt with something different from the standard norm of the time in the South. Mm-hmm. All right, let's give it a listen. It's a little dirty. It'll be alright. You can clean it up. This is a great song. The vocal is killer. We'll see if the fuzz goes away. You know the song, right? Oh, yeah, I know the song. I'm gonna try to clean it a little bit. I'm gonna get a fresh beer. You want one? Uh, yeah, might as well, because. Spotted cow, right? Yeah. You're gonna need one. Church last Sunday night. 
Just a little bit, but that's, that's just right, that's just time. So, uh, <laughs> that's right. It was probably what year would you think that was? Oh. Seventy. Was it even was it that late? Even? Sixty nine or seventy yeah. and you're looking at what, forty eight years ago? Doesn't say on here. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Bobby Gentry was an artist who never really became a prominent household name or anything like that. But I just like the pure. That's her most popular song by far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there used to be all these country music shows on TV with Jim Stafford or Johnny Cash or whoever. And she Mm -hmm. was a frequent guest on that kind of stuff. But as far as, you know, commercial, commercial popularity, she was, she was not going to be really popular. But that, 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 song i think it's actually spurred a movie i think it starred robbie benson who you may not even know who he is but no idea he was he was a kind of a heartthrob of that era and um there was questions about why did this guy do this jump off this bridge or whatever and there were all kinds of assumptions about his sexuality and stuff like that and at the so time, is this a true story no, no, okay. no. I think it's just a story that went to exemplify the time we were struggling with that kind of stuff. You know, what do you mean at the time? We're still struggling. Well, we're still struggling. We were struggling <laughs> a lot more in 1969 than we are sure. today. But it was it was an era when that kind of stuff was certainly not accepted. And I think this was one of the first foyers into investigating that generally. And in the country genre, no less. Exactly. How rare well, like is even that? today, that would be like taboo, very taboo in yeah. that genre. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about 
music to me is about points in time. Genres don't really matter to me. It's about the quality of the lyric. And mm -hmm. when I hear a lyric like that and the purity in a voice like that, man, it's different. This is going to be slightly related, but also slightly unrelated, just based on what you just said, mm -hmm. as far as genres not mattering to you. Because mm -hmm. I agree with you on that. And, and here's an example, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I recently reorganized my record collection behind me. Mm -hmm. It used to be straight alphabetical because I oftentimes struggle with, we'll use Prince as an example. Is Prince rock and roll? Is it soul? Is it R&B? Is it pop? Yes. It's all of those. <laughs> I know. Yes is the answer to all of those. It's all of those things. So then it's like, well, where does he go? Does he transcend all those like specific genres and he's just Prince? I almost just had a Prince section with like Sheila E and Vanity Six and like all his little side projects and all the things he produced. I ultimately just made like a pop rock section. We're like, okay, this is just pop and rock <laughs> yeah, and just, things that kind of fall into that, into any of those categories. I think great artists, you can't define them that way. Yeah. I had David Bowie's another example that I had trouble with. I'm like, where does David Bowie go? There's so many different, I had like an eighties pop section. I had rock and roll and like his early records are like T-Rex and Lou Reed and like the rock and roll oh, records. So I had a hard time. I had a hard time placing them. Yeah. And I think about artists and, I think that not only their music, but I think about Prince. I'm a huge Prince fan. So much of what I liked about Prince was not only his music, but his ability to cross over into multiple genres. But also at the same time, his social impact was huge. People today, they don't get it. I mean, I think a lot of folks don't understand the true impact that those real key artists have. Yeah. Not in music, but in just in culture. And Cash was another great example of that. I mean, yeah. Lives in the depths of the rawest country for most of his career. And then he's recording Trent Reznor stuff at the end of his career. Who does that? And nailing it, though. Too. Yeah, and who does that? I yeah. mean, it's about more than an individual song. Mm -hmm. And it's it's about what the impact that they had, and that song we just listened to, "Owed Billy Joe." I mean, in 1969, that had a huge impact. Yeah, I mean, it was different. Because no one was talking yeah. about that stuff. Yeah, no. and it needed to be talked. Yeah, and, and it still needs to be talked about. And we still don't <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> has, has it ever actually been confirmed though that that is actually what that song is about? I think it's urban legend, and it doesn't matter. It's the Bobby Gentry's never. There's no interviews out there with Bobby Gentry where she's like, "Yep, that's about." I think Bobby Gentry, somebody's great grandma today. I don't have any idea. Is she still? Is she still around? What's she I, doing? I have no idea. I'll have to Google that later. Be a good topic. Bobby Gentry, if you're listening, tweet at us <laughs> at Coffee and Forty Fives on Twitter. She I think that's the handle. It's been she, a long time. She may well do it. Sure. She probably doesn't even know what a podcast is. No offense, Bobby Gentry, if you're listening. <laughs> But you're old. Yeah. All right. Well, what else you got? Uh, you got you got a lot of 45 sitting spread out in front of you. So I, I uh, like I said, I love lyric, but I also love the purity of somebody's voice. My name's Rick Gill, but I'm a huge Vince Gill fan. No relation. No, no relation. I wish it was. Let me. Uh, can I just pause real quick? Are there any famous Gills that I don't know about that you're related to? Are you guys related to anybody famous? Nobody. Your entire inheritance relies upon me. Okay, I may or may not be related to Kathleen Quinlan, so that may not be true. <laughs> she was the first woman euthanized involuntarily, is that right? What, Kathleen Quinlan? Yeah. She's an actress. 
Was she euthanized? No, wasn't Kathleen Quinlan? Wasn't there a Quinlan who was a huge case about the right to die or something? Oh, I don't know about that. I think that was Kathleen Quinlan. You better no, do your she's homework. an actress. Do your homework, Tim. I think. That's different. That has to be a totally different Kathleen Quinlan. you gotta look, you got to look it up, Tim. Okay, I will. Okay, okay. Kathleen. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're, if you're still alive, we're very sorry. No, but uh, this song is by Pure Prairie League. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there's an artist, uh, Vince Gill. And a huge Ben Skill fan, and really because he's an incredible guitarist and he, he's an incredible vocalist as well. But early in his career, he actually performed with Pure Prairie League. It was a band. He was kind of country. I guess we call it California country, which is kind of same as the Eagles. Never heard that. Yeah, the Eagles were kind of the they ushered in California country. I'll have to ask Lawrence Peters about this. Yeah, you should because it's it is an. Accurate. He's the authority on yeah. this. My wife and I, Angela, who Tim's mother-in-law, we're both kind of music freaks. And late last year, we went and saw the Eagles on their tour in Louisville, Kentucky. And we were fortunate enough to sit like in the fourth row. And it was a borderline religious experience for me to see the <laughs> Eagles in the fourth row. And they're touring right now with Vince Gill and the son of Glenn Fry. Yeah. Yeah. Deacon Fry is playing is playing the role of Glenn Fry. I was attracted because I love the Eagles as a kid. And to be able to see them live was fantastic. And I'm a huge Vince Gill fan, so it was a double dip. And Vince Gill to me is just an incredible vocalist and this is a time when he was in his early 20s at this point when he sang with Pure Prairie League and this is a song that in 1973 or 74 was uh, pretty impactful and I chose it as one of my favorites. Alright. It's a great song. I gotta say, I didn't know he was active oh, in the early 70s. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He's, he's 59. Was he doing. He wasn't doing solo stuff in the early 70s. Oh, God. He was in, okay. He didn't sign a solo contract until the mid 80s. That's why I thought. He, he okay. laughs and says, I was a solo artist for seven years, but nobody knew people until they bought my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's a background vocalist on this song, actually. Oh, I know this song. Yeah. Okay. I think I could stay with you. I didn't know that. I... This is one of those songs I've definitely heard. And I, I... Never knew anything about it. I mean, yeah, I could have heard it like at a trivia night, and I, there's no way I would have. I probably would have said this was like CCR. No. <laughs> they were like, and the Eagles were kind of like the first in that California country genre. You know, they were kind of rock. They yeah. Were, they were such country. So like country. Like Lion Eyes. Country and, classic rock. Yeah. Kind of. of course, classic rock wasn't classic rock then. No. It was rock. Then. Well, now that's more of like a genre and a sound. Like, I feel like they're going to be contemporary bands these days that are like classic rock. Let's try to get classic rock. Yeah, like Black and Rose. Like, when I hear Black Crow, I think I think of them as like kind of a classic rock because they just kind of have that vibe. The sound I love the music though. What Black Rose? Oh yeah, they're great. What's the song? Duke and Trent uh, Robinson, right? Is that what I'm saying? Yeah. What's this? He married uh, Kurt Russell and whatever his daughter. Yeah. The hell is that song that I like so much from them? Well, their big hit was that Boat of Freddy cover band, Part the Handle. Yeah, but they did. They had a few other hits. They were about, uh, 
talks about heroin and talks about probably a lot of other songs. But <laughs> it's some cool. Well, they, they had like three hits on that first record. Hard to handle, which is the other song I've ever Little Miss Can't Be Wrong was another one. Yeah, but the song I'm thinking of was talks about the shooting up and it was about. Uh, Pure Prairie League. <laughs> uh, so that was what? That was Vince Gill on vocals? Did he play guitar too? Background vocals and guitar on that, I believe. Dangly guitar? Dangly guitar. But you talk about him musically and... I don't know if folks jump online and look at stuff. When George Jones passed away a few years ago, Vince Gill and Patti Loveless performed at his funeral. Vince Gill's kind of famous for performing the song called Go Rest High on That Mountain. It's a gospel song, but it's pure country as well. I think that, it, to me, is a snapshot of his talent because he, he was playing guitar and singing, and Patti Loveless was doing background vocals, and it is an incredible performance. Yeah. I mean, something you ought to see if you haven't seen it before. I haven't, and I'll look it up. I've never really listened to much Vince Gill, to be honest. Oh. I was more of a Johnny Gill cry, guy growing up. <laughs> That's a different Gill. <laughs> more, of a, more of a new edition yeah, uh, Gill. My dad is actually John Gill, so uh, to hear... The Johnny Gill? The John, the original you Johnny You don't look Gill. like him at all. <laughs> well, but you know, you might be surprised. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but Vince Gill, a lot of folks can consider him, I think, one of the modern-day greatest guitarists going today. Mm-hmm. And if you watch that tribute to George Jones that he did on you know at his funeral it was you see a little guitar solo in there and you just go oh my god that's that's pretty impressive speaking of George Jones did you bring any George Jones with you I happen to have brought some George <laughs> Jones how about my, that my dad would kill me or kick my ass if I didn't play a little George Jones tonight yeah and we affectionately called George the possum that was his nickname okay the possum and why he, was he why was that his nickname because he kind of looks like a possum <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. no but George Jones is one of those guys that is pure pure country and his songs are just laden with emotion he, he came up in the early early 50s playing and that was a difficult time in music to make a living he was able to do it I just think the purity of his music is one of those things that I say I listen to everything from rap to rock to country mm-hmm. I think the most people who enjoy music would look at George Jones and go, that's a little different. And yeah. that was a little out there for his time. And he was kind of a rebel for as much as it's worth. I think he made a huge impact in the music industry. Mm-hmm. It's funny when you use the word emotional as an adjective when talking about country, because when I think of country music fans, like emotional isn't the first thing I think of. I think of people that have a hard time expressing emotion uh, and admitting emotion. <laughs> Well, I think you. But maybe that's where the music comes in, right? That is definitely where the music comes in. Uh, And I think with George Jones, it was, you know, he was a tough guy, you know, kind of a redneck from the Mm -hmm. South and pretty insensitive in a lot of ways. But, but I think musically, pretty insensitive in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah, he was. It was it was his time and his era and where he came from. But I think if you listen to the music, you'd see that there's more to it than yeah than that insensitivity that's on the surface. Yeah. So which, uh, which one are we doing off of this? This would be He Stopped Loving Her Today, which was his tribute to Tammy Wynette. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. 
You've heard, you've heard this, right? Oh, yeah. I know George Jones. She told him you forget time. That's a country now. You get that slide guitar. I love it. First time that's it. She still prayed all his what year is this? Capture picture on his wall. Early set, mid set. Yeah. Listen to What have crazy No, it sounds like it was recorded. I mean, it was probably recorded. They probably played it live, but it sounds like it was recorded live in like a hall. It almost does, but yeah. it's just, there's a, like an echo in there. Yeah, like a reverb. Yeah. Some letters by day. That's good shit right there. It in 1962. This is what every he had every time I would go to church with my granny. Yeah. This is how every song sounded. Really, to you? Like they, this is what you heard. Well, yeah, just like I feel like they took like a classic country formula, and they're like, okay, every gospel song. <laughs> every every gospel song's got to sound like George. Yeah, yeah, I really, I think, I think that's what they did. Oh, but I didn't see no tears. All dressed up to go play. First time I'd seen them smiling years. First time I've seen him smile on you. So something's about ten years. Oh yeah. I see. Uh, yeah. They were married for quite a while. Yeah. Got the worst. Am I too blue in my songs? No, no, it's fine. This is definitely probably the saddest episode. So. <laughs> we'll get stoned at the end. That one. <laughs> there you go. It kept running through my mind. This time he's over her for good. Do it. He's over her. He stopped loving her. Today. Sounds like he did. He wrote a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped loving They're on their way back. They just got on the bus, though. Did they? Okay. So we still have a good. 20 30 minutes further. They won't burst in. No. I gotta say, it doesn't sound like he stopped loving her because he wrote an entire song about her. And that's not something someone who isn't in love does. George was a complex man. <laughs> the possum had many sides. <laughs> It sounds like he wasn't comfortable talking about his emotions, so he wrote it all out in a song. That well could be. And he's saying, not only did he write it out in a song, but he's it's in third person. Well, no, it's not in third person. It's in second person. He's, he's projecting, saying he stopped loving her today, when in fact it was him that stopped loving Tammy 
that day. As a resident of Louisville, Kentucky, I would ask that you quit being so judgmental of George. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying <laughs> maybe he needs to see a psychiatrist is all I'm saying. That is without question. <laughs> if he were alive today, he would need that. That's for sure. So th that was probably what, early 70s? Early 70s, yes. And I just have to say, I just have to comment on the production of that record. It sounded way more modern than that to me. Yeah. Very clean production. And it almost sounded like it was recorded live at like... Carnegie Hall. Yeah. There's a lot of reverb, a lot of, like, it's, that sounded great. You talk about t going back in time. Um, my best friend I grew up with, Jeff Owens, uh, we've been best friends since we were 14 or 15 years old and still are today. We sit in my bedroom and sing George Jones. He stopped loving her today, 30 years ago. And so we talk about music taking us back in time. Mm -hmm. George takes me back to that time. Was there a, were you going through a breakup or something? No, I just love sad music, man. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it about, what is it about sad music? I, I don't think it's about sad music as much as it's about honesty of lyric. Okay. And um, I've always been much more a fan of the quality of the lyric than I am of the, the musical talent or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You and I talked about some artists earlier today that, that you talk about the honesty of their music. That's what it's all about. Yeah. It's about writing a song that people can relate to that they carry with them throughout their life. And it's not about a catchy lyric or anything. It's about the honesty of the lyric. Do you ever find yourself hearing a song and being drawn in by the music as opposed to the lyrics? Not so much. Do you it's ever feel the like the emotion can be expressed through the music alone? I think the music is a complement to the lyric and it can't surpass the lyric. I'm a huge fan of, of speeches, and mm -hmm. speeches people have delivered. I'll sit and listen to Martin Luther King or Bobby Kennedy or JFK. Or, Adolf Hitler. Or, no, no, no. I know, okay. Or Reagan <laughs> or somebody like that. And listen to the quality of the words they use. That's yeah. what it's about. It's connecting with people. Mm -hmm. The music is about connecting with people. And it's a combination of music and lyric. But absent the lyric, the music doesn't have a lot of meaning. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I've always viewed music. And mm -hmm. It's kind of obscure, I guess, but it's who I am. I can listen to John Coltrane's Blue Train, for example. Yes. And feel something. Yes. Even though there are no lyrics, there's something about the way he's playing. I can feel what he's trying to say. Do you I know think, what I mean? I think that's the frequency you receive it on. Mm -hmm. For a guy like me, it's about the word. Yeah, and different people have different, you know, innate talents. And if you yeah. can, if you can accept that in terms of the music in and of itself, kind of on a different plane than I am, in the sense that to me the music is a complement to the lyric, mm -hmm. and I, I tip my hat to that because I don't have that ability. I yeah, mean, I listen to the word and go, that means something to me. We'll get some marijuana in you. And then we'll put on Blue Train later. <laughs> we'll yeah. see if you change your tune. Yeah, I will I'll go back <laughs> about 20 years. and Don't know, worry, I'll take that off. <laughs> I'll be just fine. <laughs> I won't thing. let anyone at work hear that. I will edit that out. They know me. You know, <laughs> I work with, you know, it's funny, you talk about work. I work with a lot of younger folks than me. I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I've got a lot of young people who work for me. I'm constantly told that my voice is exactly like the dude from the Big Lebowski. The dude? The dude. 
many folks refer to me as the dude. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's who I am. You should just put, you should play that up. <laughs> Anytime dude. someone comes in the opposite, they just like, well, that's just like your opinion. <laughs> exactly. I've only watched it about 500 you times. pissed on my rug. <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> You know your daughter has never seen The Big Lebowski. I am embarrassed to hear that. I am too. (laughs) She has really missed a pivotal moment in culture. We need to just buy it. I love that movie. That's a great soundtrack too. The Kenny Rogers song on there is just killed. My favorite Kenny Rogers song. It's killer. It's so good. I love the dude. The it, it is it is one of those movies that is um, if you really watch it for the content, the quality of the dialogue in that movie is incredible. Oh yeah, I mean it's Coen Brothers. Yeah, we talked about They're, that earlier. Yeah, today. we were talking about Coen, but to bring everything full circle. Yeah, we were comparing the. I won't. I, I don't mean to call you out politically here, but we were comparing the Trump administration to the writing of a Coen Brothers movie. Very similar. <laughs> how, how just insanely ridiculous all of it is. I would like to publicly state, although I'm a Republican, <laughs> I'm incredibly embarrassed by the current state of affairs. And We all should be. Yes. No matter who you are, it's... Is an embarrassment to who we are. It's just, re- it's like the true, it's just reality TV in our government. And it's just like, what's going to happen this week on Twitter? Yeah. God only knows what comes next, but who knows? Uh, we can only hope that the strength of our union is greater than that. Well, and, um, it's, we'll be fine. We've made it this long. We'll be fine. Don't worry <laughs> about it. I think what we need right now is a little Willie Nelson. Sure. Yeah. And this next song is a song that takes me to being in the great flyway in North Dakota. I'm an avid hunter and fisherman. And uh, this song is a song we play every year. We go to North Dakota during the uh, duck and goose and pheasant season. And as we're driving out every morning, we listen to this song because we may have partook a little too much the night before. We'll edit that out for work. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody Mary morning. a good song. Have you ever heard this? Oh yeah, I love Willie. Willie's great. This song is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Willie was like, it was country, but it was also kind of like punk rock at the same time. This may be the most obscure version of coffee and donuts ever recorded. <laughs> Enjoying it? Oh, yeah. We're learning a lot about each other. Well, I'm learning a lot about you. You know I love you, right? You what? You know I love you, right? Oh, yeah. Every morning when we're driving out to set up our decoys, we put this on in the truck. Going out there, setting up decoys and stuff. Everybody's all hung over the night before. We're drinking Bloody Marys in the yeah. morning. And it's like, it's a really big, man. I'm going to need some Bloody Marys the morning of the wedding, probably. <laughs> ah, you'll be fine. How long have we been going? We are 51 minutes in. How long have you been going? How long do you want to go? I mean, most... I try to keep episodes... I, I like to do an hour. Sometimes they go to an hour and a half. It just depends. Um, 
like to do an hour because that's like most people's commute. And if they're listening to the morning, Uh, a little willy there just a little bit so i'll probably have a bloody mary morning coming up <laughs> probably two days in a row honestly probably saturday morning and sunday morning and that's fine tim the day of the wedding and the day after the wedding you getting excited? I'm very excited. It's coming soon. It's really funny as a parent. Um, Corey, our oldest, when he got married, kind of eloped in a way. He married a, a girl who we loved dearly, Amoy, and um, her family was in Jamaica, so it wasn't a situation where they could be in town for a wedding. And being the kind of guy Corey is, he's like, Dad, her family can't get here. And I don't want to have all of my family here and none of her family, so let's just do a private little ceremony. We'll come back and celebrate with you later. And we did that, and it was fantastic. But it's a little different when your daughter gets married. And um, it's also your your last child to get married. My last child to get married. And uh, as a parent, all you want is for them to marry somebody who you believe is going to be a good partner for them, and somebody who has a good heart and soul. And not to stroke you too much, Timmy, but you're that guy. Well, I can't wait till she meets that guy. No, she met that guy <laughs> five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was. It wasn't that long ago. How long ago? How? Let's see. This is, oh, I'm going to get myself with some hot water here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we started dating in the month of October, and it was probably, oh, man, has it been five years? It's been, it's been five, five years it's been in October? Five years, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I will tell you, as a parent, I look at I look at her and I look at you, and you know, her, her mother and I have been married thirty three years. I'm absolutely certain you'll enjoy the same thing. It's it's all about finding the person that matches your spirit and soul, and she met it in you. I don't know if she's ever talked to you about this, but we've literally only had one argument that I can think of. And one other time where she got mad at me, and rightfully so, and I'll tell you about those now. <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard? Either? Yeah, no, I have not. This is literally the only time, and this is what's crazy: is in five years of being with her, these are the only two times I can think of where we've gotten at each other, and where she's gotten mad at me, and again, rightfully so. But um, the first time we were moving, we had just bought a couch, and we we're moving the couch into the apartment. And I swear to God, if this couch was one centimeter bigger, we wouldn't have got it into the apartment. And I was losing my shit. 
I mean, I was, and we were, we lived on the third floor and it was a walk up and I was just, I was, I was getting so mad and she just kept looking at me like, just calm down. You need to chill out. And it got, I'm like, you calm down, you chill out. <laughs> just like, I've heard that. Okay. It was just irrational. And we, we both got, we got mad at each other. And then I went in and I was like, I was trying to warm up pizza in the oven. And then I tried to get it out and it fell face down on the floor. It was just like, shit just kept getting worse. <laughs> And when the pizza fell on the floor, I lost it. I was just like, I need to go for a walk. <laughs> like I left. And it was nothing that either one of us even did. It was just situational things. Absolutely. Like it wasn't even us. And now that that's seriously like that's the hottest we've ever gotten towards each other. Well, I will say her mother and I have been married 33 years. And I'm proud of the fact that in 33 years, we've never raised our voices to each other mm-hmm. ever. And I married way over my head. I got very fortunate. I would say the only advice I give you in that regard is there'll be a lot of times in the future when you won't like each other, but always love each other. Mm-hmm. And love's a verb and not a noun. And it's what you do and not what you feel at times. And so even when you're frustrated and even when you're aggravated. Are you spoiling the toast right now? No, no, no. This is not the, <laughs> toast is much better than this, Tim. Um, but it's just a matter of really loving each other and, mm-hmm. and respecting each other. And I have 100% confidence you're that guy. Well, thanks. I do too. And I hope that we're both right. I'm sure we are. <laughs> you know, one of these days you're going to realize that um, fate, really shined upon you and and her as well and you guys are going to look back and go god how lucky i am that's if you believe in fate i believe in fate 100 percent. yeah it, it's one of those things tim that you're going to find as time goes on sometimes it's not what you feel it's what mm-hmm. you do it's what you do and you'll do the right things because you got a good you know you're i know your mom pretty well and you come from pretty good stock so you're going to be fine. <laughs> well, you don't know the rest of my family. Uh, your mom was the biggest <laughs> influence, right? Oh, well, her and my sister and my brother as well. My, my mom and my sister and my brother pretty much are responsible for raising me. I'd say more so my mom and my sister were there taking care of me most mm-hmm. of the time. And then my brother would watch me in the interim. Uh, but he would usually just go make out with his girlfriends. <laughs> and, and that's okay. And I would play <laughs> Nintendo. But I learned a lot from him in regards to music and uh, women. Your mom's an incredibly kind soul. She really is. And you're you're your mother's son. And yeah. You'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. I got 100% confidence that uh, at 33 years from now, when I'm long gone, you're going to look back. 30, that's it? You're giving yourself 33 more years? 55, man. Come on. Ah, <laughs> we've made so many advancements in, in, in health and technology. I don't want to live beyond my usable life, so that, that'll be... 30 years would be good and uh, 100 might be the new 25 by the God, time it rolls no. God help Angela if that's the case <laughs> that's all I got to say no but you, you guys are a perfect match I'm incredibly grateful for that well not to change gears mm-hmm. you mentioned fate and how you believe in fate and I have to ask you this and I would be I would be remiss not to mention this on the show were you were you not an MLB prospect at one point. There was a time in my life, Tim, mm-hmm. when uh, I think that was the case. And uh, I grew up in the baseball environment and, you know, growing up in Cincinnati during the Big Red Machine, you know, I had a lot of hopes and aspirations. For the people who don't know, what is the Big Red Machine? 
big red machine is the Cincinnati Reds, 1973-1975, three-time world champions. And uh, <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd be able to describe yeah, that. Yeah, well. and I was very fortunate to be growing up in that environment. You know, I was kind of a baseball phenom in high school, if that's what it is. A and phenom. Phenom. And uh, This show's all about being humble. Was able to throw a number of no-hitters in my youth and that kind of stuff, and get recruited to college, play baseball, uh, get drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates when I was a young man. It was an incredible time in my life. Played till I was 22 or 23. Had friends that went into minor leagues and played, and I, I had an opportunity to do so, but met the woman of my dreams when I was 22. Gave it all up. Gave it all up, got married. Had I wouldn't say traded it for something better absolutely something better mm -hmm. um still believe that in some way i might have been able to do that but it wasn't nearly as rewarding as being a husband and dad yeah <laughs> and that's what it's all about and being a dad to riley has been an incredible honor and having her marry you is even bigger well i appreciate that this is the most emotional podcast we've done mm -hmm. It should be. You're playing a lot of sad songs here uh, over here. And I guess that's, you know, that's who I am. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of it. Okay? Sure. You do love Joan Osborne, who writes very emotional music. Absolutely. And Did you bring any Joan with you? I did not bring Joan. I can't believe you didn't bring any Joan. Or Hank. I couldn't find Joan on 45. Yeah, that's fair. I, wish I only I have one. I think I have one record with, I think it has If God Was One of Us. Joan's best recording is probably a song called Broke Down Palace. Was it for the movie Broke Down Palace? No, it was a Grateful Dead song. Oh, okay. And it's not available in 45. Yeah, of course not. It would be here There's probably tonight. some copyright it, issues involved. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Jerry's still making money, so we got to leave some, him alone. He's not even alive, but he's yeah, still making no, money. Exactly right. That's, that's probably my favorite all-time song. Her version or the Grateful Dead version? Her version, for sure. Were you a Dead fan at all? Not, I like jam band stuff, but not a whole lot. And, yeah. Um, her, her, her version of that is clearly the best there is, but if we were going to close the recording tonight, okay. we would do it with a song that I, that I absolutely love, and I'll tell you the story after you hear the song. Okay. Well, let's just hear the song. No introduction needed. As David Letterman would say, my next guest needs no introduction. Gotta open this thing up. It's pretty clean, I think. I don't think it's ever been played. Yeah, it's, it's sealed still. <clears throat> which uh, which one are we doing now? Are we doing Who Says or Free Fallen? Who Says. Who Says. Not the Tom Petty cover? Nope. It's a great song. Speaking of Tom Petty, that's one dude I love. You know this song, though, don't you? Who says? Who says we can't all get stoned? I don't think so. <laughs> You're going to love it. Just listen to the guitar and the lyric. Who says we can't get stoned? Turn off the lights and the telephone. Me and my house alone. Who says I can't get stoned? Who says I can't be from all of the things that I used to be? Rewrite my history. Who says I can't be free? It's been a long night in New York City. 
It's been a long time I don't remember you looking any better But then again I don't remember you Who says I can't get stoned Calling the girl that I used to know Fake love for an hour so Who says I can't get stoned Who says I can't take time Meet all the girls in the county line Wait all fate to send a sign Who says I can't take time It's been a long night in New York City It's been a long night in Austin too I don't remember you looking any better But then again I don't remember you Says I can't get stoned. Planet drift in Japan alone. Doesn't matter if I even go. Who says I can't get stoned? I'll tell you the story behind this song later. It's been a long time in New You ever heard this before? It's been a long time since 22. John Mayer, an incredible artist. He's a he's a great guitarist. I've never been a fan of much of his music just because I found a lot of it kind of his lyrics kind of cheesy for the most part. This was not cheesy. But yeah. Ask me about the meaning behind this and I'll tell you. I liked his um uh John Mayer Trio record though. Oh god. Alright. So you said you had a story here. Yeah, the story behind this song. And it kind of exemplifies you and Riley, too. I saw John Mayer explain this song one time. It was about, it's about bullying. It was about, you know, he said uh, the song he wrote about people expressing who they really are. And in this song, what he's trying to get across is, you know, he used an analogy, you know, you go to school dressed in these certain clothes when you're a kid, and people say, hey, why are you wearing that? And his answer was, why are you wearing that? This is who I am. I think what it exemplifies is, you know, it talks about who says I can't get stoned or whatever. We've all been down that road as a, as a young person. But it, what it really is about is expressing who you really are, being unashamed of who you are, and doing what you do. And I think about Tim Quinlan. When Riley started dating Tim, like any good parent, I stalked him on Facebook. <laughs> I saw all the ink, I saw the arms, I saw the neck, and I thought, God, this guy's a little scary. <laughs> and um, Tim came to our house one time when he and Riley started dating. And I remember he had on a shirt buttoned all the way up, and the sleeves were buttoned all the way down. And uh, I remember we were sitting at the island in our kitchen, and I said, Tim, I've already stalked you. <laughs> I know you got ink. I said, I don't care. I said, I care if you're a good guy. Mm -hmm. And I said, clearly you're a good guy. 
it's just be who you are and don't worry about what anybody else thinks. I accept you for what you are. You're an awesome guy and you're the right guy for my daughter. And that's all I care about. So I think that what John Mayer was trying to get across was we got to have the courage to be who we are. Mm-hmm. And if my music is kind of cheesy, you know, I'm going <laughs> to cheesy, I'm okay with that because that's who I am. Yeah. So my message is be who you are. Don't worry what anybody thinks. They don't like them. They can go fuck themselves. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing else to say. I think that's the perfect way to close this. Yeah. So be who you are, Tim. You're the, exactly the son in law I wanted. And be that guy. And everybody else, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs>